Hi, this is Damien from New City, Orlando. You're listening to our CBR Bible Project series, where each episode we introduce a different book of the Bible as it coincides with CBR. To learn more about community Bible reading or CBR, visit newcityorlando.com forward slash CBR. Hello, this is Benjamin Kant, and this is the New City CBR podcast. I'm joined today by the distinguished Jonathan (laughs) Duckett. Duckett, how are you today? Doing well. (laughs) So today we are going to be talking about the book of Judges. So I'm curious to hear from you, Jonathan. What do you think, or why do you think it's important to read Judges? It's a great question. Um, There's a number of reasons why I think it's important to read Judges. The first off is uh, it's a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, which is uh, as New Testament Western believers a lot of times, uh, like if you look at my Bible especially, you'll see that all of the pages that are bent and like folded and used are the ones in the New Testament Mm. and not necessarily the ones in the Old. And so anytime you're taking uh, special notice of an Old Testament book, that's going to be a positive thing. So that's one reason. Uh, another one is it's a hugely important link between Exodus and Kings. <clears throat> the storyline of the Pentateuch in the Old Testament uh, is uh, J- Joshua, I'm sorry, Judges provides a really, really important connection between those two, kind of between the, the time of Israel and exile, or not exile, but in the wilderness, and then the time that Israel's in the promised land and the time of the kings. So mm-hmm. there's this like really interesting interlude that it's really important to kind of be uh, aware of. So would you just tell us briefly that story? You're referring to this story of Israel, mm-hmm. beginning with the Exodus there in particular. And and just tell us briefly, what is that story that, and where does Judges fit into that? Yeah. Well, of course, you know, we have uh, the, the, the context or the setting is Israel has been uh, sort of enslaved by Egypt for a, a, a number of years. Um, and then, of course, we all know the story of Moses, who comes along and liberates them with the uh, with the authority that God has given him to lead them out of captivity into <clears throat> the Promised Land. Uh, and in that time, of course, God gives Moses the law, uh, what we call um, the Old Testament law, um, which is mostly found in the Book of Leviticus, but also uh, you, uh, we would also know it as the Ten Commandments um, on Mount Sinai. And so, in that time, of course, Israel is uh, wandering through the wilderness, trying to make their way to the Promised Land. They get there, and then they turn back because they're too afraid. And then, sort of, God sort of condemns them to forty more years in the wilderness. But after that time, they come back. Uh, this time under the under the leadership of Joshua, they enter the promised land and start conquering. Uh, and once they've conquered the promised land, again, because God is fulfilling his promise, um, there's a time where uh, there's no king. However, there needs to be some kind of leadership and rule. And so God has ordained that these, uh, what what we call judges, but the word judge, when we, th- when we think of it, we're thinking oftentimes like a courtroom. But in reality, judges is actually, the word for judges is something more akin to like a military leader. And so you have these military leaders that we also call judges that are kind of leading the people of Israel through this time. But sadly and unfortunately, the reason why those are necessary is because Israel is uh, not following the law uh, and the covenant that they had made with God beforehand. And so the sort of over, and this leads us into the overarching theme, and it's important to read Judges because this provides so much context for the the need of a king. Uh, The theme of Judges is that there was no king in the land. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so you need to read through Judges to sort of stoke your thirst for uh, the king mm. that was promised. So if I hear you, you're saying, when I think of the word judge or judges, I should not be thinking of Judge Judy. I should be thinking something more 
akin to Joan of Arc, right? That's exactly this right. Kind yeah. of military warrior. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's helpful. So then when you, and I also realized I just asked you to summarize five books of the okay. Bible in <laughs> yeah. like two minutes and you did a fantastic job. I hope none of my professors listen to this. <laughs> sure. Uh, so how does this book, uh, you, you've spoken to how it kind of fits into the flow of at least the Old Testament, especially the beginning part of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, even <clears throat> into some of the later things with Kings before the exile. Um, how does it fit into the New Testament or what mm. does it do for us as far as pointing us to Jesus mm. and how we as believers in Jesus are supposed to take this book seriously? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, I think it's so important uh, to, you often talk about it in our conversations about reading the Old Testament through the Emmaus lens, seeing mm. how it's all pointing to Jesus. Um, there's a number of ways and uh, I won't go through all of them here, but one of the biggest ones for me is um, I think that as um as a, as a person uh, in the 21st century, uh, it doesn't matter that I live in a democracy or a republic. I think we were designed to have a king. Mm. Um, I think God has written eternity on men's hearts, and eternity is a monarchy, right? Mm. It's a theistic monarchy, God as king. And so uh, reading a book like Judges, um, first off, I think it, it helps remind us that even in the case of a specifically chosen people of God who have everything going for them, they're still, they, they still fail over over and over and over again. Um, I think that that shows us that <clears throat> even when all the cards are stacked in our favor, uh, we're still going to come up short because mm-hmm. of our sinful natures. But also, I think you see the overwhelming patience and loving kindness of God to continue in His covenant that He made with His people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that theme absolutely translates to our times, to our context today. But uh, going back to what I mentioned earlier, I think in going back to that, um, the idea of king and kingship. Um, <clears throat> so much of scripture, and uh, I think, is designed, especially in the Old Testament, to, to anticipate Christ. Mm. Uh, and so this idea that the, one of the main issues, if not the main issue that Israel had, was that they had no king. Um, that, ought to, that ought to speak to my heart, that mm. I look at the, the sort of pain and the destruction and the, and the uncertainty of the world around me, the sin and the brokenness around me, uh, and, in, and inside me, right? Uh, and I can look in that and I say, there is no king. Mm-hmm. The king is not yet here and reigning. Now, we know Jesus is king of the universe reigning in heaven, but there will be a time that we anticipate him coming and, and ruling on earth too. And I think that it's important for us to read, maybe not because it's entirely pleasant, but it sort of tills the soil of our hearts to, to anticipate that time and that king to want it more. Mm-hmm. So as we read the book of Judges, if we're reading it properly, it's supposed to stir up this longing mm-hmm. for a, not just any king, but a good king, a right? good king. That's exactly the, the right. Kind of the once and future king that will come and, and as we talk about so often, make all things new yeah. uh, and rule with justice and goodness and righteousness and peace, mm-hmm. which is so opposite of the kind of <laughs> ruling and, and the kind of warfare that we see in the book of Judges. Isn't yeah, that right? That's exactly right. Uh, and so, uh, and to that point, um, you know, we, we re- kind of as you're asking, like, how, how do we connect Judges to our context and time today? Oftentimes, if you, uh, for folks that aren't like us who haven't been to seminary, they might have trouble uh, reading Judges and necessarily, like knowing necessarily everything that's going on. I'm curious what you would say that would help um, help readers make sense of, of what's going on in, in the book of Judges. Yeah. Well, even if we begin at the beginning with mm-hmm. chapter one, as you helped us with the story that kind of gives us a backdrop, 
uh, Israel is moving into the promised land, this land of Cana. And one of the things that they were called to do was to to get rid of the Canaanites, to essentially uh, cast them out or drive them out. Um, and that was not because of some ethnic reason. This wasn't some sort of genocide. It was because those people had practices of worshiping false gods and the immorality that flowed from that, God knew would be a, a snare for his people. And so when we open up Judges, we get to Judges 1, and Judges 1 is really about Israel's military failure. Yeah. They were supposed to drive out these people. And even if you just pick up in, in verse 21, it says, But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Or verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages. 28, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Ephraim did not drive out. Zebulun did not drive out. On and on and on. We get these different tribes of Israel, and it's making this point through repetition. They did not drive out the Canaanites. Mm. So you've got this military failure in chapter one that goes directly into the moral failure of chapter mm -hmm. two. So Israel's disobedient in chapter two. And, and even the Lord says in, in verse three, so now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. Mm -hmm. And really one and two kind of set the stage for the rest of the book. And, and at the end of chapter two, we really have this summary uh, from verse 16 on. Um, and the summary is maybe better thought of as a cycle. Hmm. That just kind of keeps repeating throughout the story. And so the cycle uh, is something along the lines of Israel is experiencing peace and prosperity. And so in that, they begin to forget Yahweh. They forget the one true God. And so they move into rebellion. And then in their rebellion, the Lord kind of removes his protection, his hedge of protection around them, and they begin to be oppressed hmm. by the Canaanites, by the, by the people in the land. Um, and so in this oppression, then they begin to repent and cry out, God, save us, deliver us. And God in his mercy comes, shows up and rescues his people, frees them from oppression. And then they're prosperous. And then the whole cycle starts all over again. And one of the reasons why I appreciate this is because what's playing out on a macro level with an entire with an entire nation of Israel, mm -hmm. I think plays out on a micro level in each of our own lives. Mm. There's this sense of, you know, all is well in my world. And so I'm doing good. And, and God is kind of on the back burner. He's an afterthought. I couldn't mm. really think too much about him because I'm really focused on how my life is great and I'm living it up. And then we slip into some sort of difficulty, some sort of what the, the Psalms would call the day of trouble comes. And in that we cry out, God, help us. You know, we, we promise we'll make you a priority. We promise you we'll seek you first. And, and the Lord shows up and he's merciful towards us. And then we kind of get fat and happy again and things are going great only to repeat that cycle over again. Mm. And so we read judges and we think this is actually my own heart. If I'm, if mm. I'm attentive. That's good. Um, yeah, those are great points. I think you're absolutely right um, as a microcosm of uh, both the internal and external world around us. Uh, I mean, you could even say the th same thing about the people of God kind of in our modern time as a whole. Like we sort of fail and God is continuing to be faithful. Uh, I'm curious, you had mentioned... Um, you had mentioned some of the, uh, the, the as, as the Israelites were commanded to drive out 
um, the, uh, the other peoples that were living there. And you're saying it's not genocide, uh, but it is, it is violent. Uh, mm-hmm. And in fact, Judges is a very violent book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what you would say to, to, help, uh, to help folks who are reading that. Like, how, what do we do with the violence in Judges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's, it's maybe one of the, the questions that people will ask uh, that aren't, aren't familiar with the scriptures or um, that are wrestling through some of the things they read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I would say is that when the Bible offends you, pay attention. Mm. Because I actually think the Bible is intending to be offensive at times. Uh, in other words, at the end of the book of Judges is maybe one of the most horrendous stories in all of scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you read it and you're indifferent towards it, uh, in other words, if you read it and you're not stirred up with a sense of injustice, then it's not doing its work on you. You're not allowing the Bible to do its work. And so I actually really appreciate it when people are are offended or thrown off by this, because I think uh, one of the things the Bible does is it comes in and it, it both critiques and it affirms mm-hmm. every culture it comes into. And so it's going to say, you know, uh, American culture, in particular Western culture, has a real uh, priority for forgiveness and mercy and peace and and those kind of things. Um, and it would come in and say, listen, justice matters. And to to overemphasize mercy at the expense of justice is to is to fail to understand the way that the world works. And so. When we read Judges and we get to these violent parts, I think it, it's supposed to grate against our modern sensibilities, and it's a good thing that it does that. Um, now, I think the other piece of this is to recognize that, um, as you said before, Judges points us forward. And so Judges brings us to... Uh, it, by showing us some things that are happening, um, some of the violence, some of the, uh, the things even that the Judges do... Um, aren't always commendable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think the whole purpose of the book of Judges is to show when God's people forget God himself, might makes right. Mm. In other words, violence rules the day. Yeah. And so there's a lot of violence in the book of Judges, but God's not necessarily commending all of it. He's using it as this illustration to show us, this is what it looks like when there's no king in the land. Mm. This is what it looks like. And, and I would, I'd say it's worthwhile for us to go to the very end of the book, because I think this is probably the key verse in the entire book of Judges, and it's the last verse in the book of Judges, which is, in those days, the days of the Judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's a tragic sentence. And the book of Judges is a tragedy. And so I think that it's supposed to kind of set us up for feeling Uh, That tension that, as you said, stirring up the longings for a day when there isn't violence, when might doesn't make right. But I'd be curious how you would think about that or if you'd add anything to it. Uh, I thought that was really well said. Uh, Everything you said, I'd agree with. Uh, The only thing I might, uh, you know, add would be uh, it's also important to, to keep in mind that looking at looking at a book like Judges, which is some 3000 years old. Um, through the lens of a 21st century kind of modern perspective um, is is almost never going to yield you the 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 proper interpretation mm-hmm. it's very important that as much as we can we, we put ourselves in the mindset uh, of uh, of an ancient um, Israelite uh, or an ancient person who's reading these these texts or hearing them read aloud even because mm-hmm. of course most of the folks probably couldn't read them Um 
And so when we think about violence, I'm actually reminded, uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this illustration brief, but this was this hit home for me, uh, and think, I'm always grateful to C.S. Lewis, and you know it's only a matter of time before I bring him up. Of course. Um, but there's a great moment in uh, one of his books, it's um, it's the third of his space trilogy out of, uh, it's That Hideous Strength, sorry, and um, there's a moment where, uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it, but there's a moment where he actually brings the character of Merlin, like Arthur and Merlin. Mm. He brings Merlin into the present, uh, to fight an evil that has come up. And so Merlin is a good guy and he joins the good guys. Uh, and as he joins them, um, they're kind of trying to sort of strategize to fight the enemy. And, um, as Merlin's talking, it becomes very clear that he is almost barbaric in how he's planning on treating the people who they're fighting. Uh, and he's even going so far as to folks who are kind of even in the room with them. He's like, Oh, if he's going to, if, if this guy who's an, on our side says that, should we just kill him now? Mm. And of course his teammates are like, no, we shouldn't kill him. Like he's, he's fine. <laughs> he didn't say that, that the thing he said wasn't that bad. Um, and they thought for a second that Merlin was evil because of the violence he was enacting. And the reality is, no, he just comes from a different time. And mm. so in his time, it was uh, life was sacred, but it was so sacred that it was expected to cut it off if you were doing injustice to it. Uh, and so death was not—how do I put this? Death was both more easily accepted but also held as uh, a more final and just act than what we might think of it today. To, to us, killing someone who's done something wrong almost seems— uh, wrong in and of itself. Um, but in that day, that wouldn't have necessarily held to be true. Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying which one is the proper perspective on death. What I am saying, though, is that it's different. And so that's another thing to think about mm. on top of everything that you said. Yeah, that's helpful. So as you consider the book of Judges, how do you think it speaks to our concerns in context? You're talking about how uh, what what has been called the strange world of the Bible, right? Yeah. This this world that we enter into that is uh, biblical language and symbolism mm -hmm. and times. And so how do you think that speaks to us here and now? Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, I think we've been dancing around it and even explicitly addressing it as we've talked, which is um, this book is a tragedy that... Um, accurately records the human heart, uh, the, the microcosm that, uh, that, that Israel sort of demonstrates of the human heart and its cycle of failure and repentance and then restoration and then failure. Well, I guess it goes, um, it goes complacency and mm. then failure and then restoration, repentance and restoration, right? Uh, that cycle that we all probably know, hopefully all of us have experienced that mm -hmm. uh, if we're honest with ourselves. And so I think reading that over and over again, this tragedy after tragedy, and also reading that even the folks, the, the men and the women that God raises up to lead his people, even they are marked by failure and tragedy. Mm -hmm. So even the ones that God has raised up, all of that shows us the insufficiency of fallen humanity to address mankind's needs, to be able to meet God's standard and to, and to bring shalom back into the world, which is, of course, the whole point of Israel having the promised land, right? Mm -hmm. Don't forget the promise or the covenant with Abraham. You will be a blessing to all the nations. That's the whole point. That's the end here is that Israel will be a blessing to the nations. How are mm -hmm. they going to do that? if they keep failing and failing and failing. And so this, I really believe that this, I, I called it as I was like kind of preparing for this talk, uh, I thought of this as judges is the salt, which makes us thirsty for the water of a king, of mm. a good king. It's so good. Um, it works up the reader's appetite for a king, right? And that's the mark of an amazing storyteller. You mm -hmm. have, I mean, you show me all of the the best stories, uh, and you're gonna, and, I, and I'll show you 
that how the writer took the reader on a journey where he made them really crave and want the final conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what Judges is, is aiming towards. It's really trying to set you up for a king. And I think as you as it does that, that absolutely speaks to a modern context because you, again, look at the world around us. We are a world in desperate need of a good and holy king. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's, that's how it speaks to us. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think that's amazing. Uh, and and again, back to this piece of, of stirring up our longings, or as you so well said, it, it kind of salts our, our mouths so that mm-hmm. we thirst for something that maybe we don't even know that we thirst for, yeah. right? That it's there and it, and it takes a book like Judges to do that to us. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, I, I want to close by asking you, what is your favorite part mm-hmm. of the book of Judges? Yeah, that's that's good. Um, it's hard to have a favorite part of a really violent and <laughs> tragic book. The part where he loses his sword <laughs> in the belly I was of King say, Ehud, Ehud or yeah. <laughs> but and no, dung comes out, I think. Oh, let's it not pretty graphic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, uh, it's the Bible. Yeah, it is the Bible. Um, but no, in Judges chapter 2, verse 18, uh, it says this. It says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Mm-hmm. That sounds so much like Romans 8 language. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the, the compassion and love of God, not one who's obsessed with violence, but one who's moved to compassion and pity. Mm-hmm. I think that, sh- that that's my favorite verse in the book because it shows that the heart of God continues to echo with compassion and love. It's behind his anger, God is moved to pity for his beloved people. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, what's yours? What What do you like? Yeah, probably, you know, that text is so good. And, and I think where I'm going to go to is uh, one of the stories where that gets worked out. And mm. so in Judges 3, just the first judge that gets raised up here uh, in verse seven, it says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And then it goes into how they become overrun and oppressed by another people. And then verse nine, which is not far after says, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. And that refrain, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. I just, that pattern is so helpful to me um, because what it means is, is that God isn't, uh, his, even his judgment that he's bringing against Israel is restorative and it's not, it's not retributive in Mm. these situations. He's not trying to um, bring some punishment or penalty against them just for the punishment in and of itself. Mm. It's to get them to cry out. It's to get them to open up their hearts and their mouths and cry out to the Lord. And when they do, it sounds like it's immediate. He just raises somebody up to deliver them from their oppressors. And so there's something powerful and beautiful about that. And it, and it reminds me of even Luke 18, when Jesus says, tells the story of the, the woman who's uh, dealing with the unjust judge, who's mm-hmm. like, I don't either fear God nor care about man. In other words, I'm kind of a tool. <laughs> uh, and and, and the, this widow just persistently says, please, come on, give me justice. And then Jesus says, essentially something to the effect of, will not the judge of all the earth give you justice who cry out to him day and night? Like if God, who's a good judge, 
uh, is so much better than this bad judge. Will he not do that? And then he, he ends it with this kind of piercing heart dagger that says, <laughs> will the son of man find faith on the earth when he comes? In other words, will we call do what we're called to do here and cry out to the Lord for deliverance and for help for us, for the injustices we see in our city, in our world? And I think that's one of the things that, that stirs me up as I read the book of Judges.